No, I look out here and think of the history of the church next door, and I know that some of you remember a teacher at Granville Elementary School named Leanne Jack. She opened and closed for us there, and her and her mom were a bright spot in the, the history of our church. It was her that helped us get the Christmas adoptions of families in need going at Granville Elementary School. Last couple of years, she battled with cancer. When I visited her in hospice a little while ago, I promised her we will keep up the, the Christmas adoption in her memory. And you should have seen the, the smile on her face. I got a call from her sister, Sandra, recently that Leanne's battle came to an end. She, she passed into the arms of Jesus in whom she trusted. There's going to be a memorial service in the gym at Granville where we had our services, and it's open invitation. If you'd like to come, we'll let you know the date. And Leanne asked a couple of things. When I saw her in hospice, she said, I want everybody to bring a 24-pack a of crayons for the kids. And her sister said, bring your stories to share. If you're like me, you have some, some memories. Uh, with Leanne. In addition to that, Robin, who's done a lot of the Christmas shopping for that school, brought an idea to the elders. Next Sunday, we're going to take a special collection for supplies needed at Granville Elementary School in her honor. We'll take a special second offering. If you write it to the church next door, memo, Granville Elementary, all of that. We'll, we'll go over to the school and say, what do you guys need for your students? We want, we want to get that for you. I thought about Leanne. She taught for 24 years. 24 years. She outlasted a number of principals in that stretch. And she continued to teach these last several years despite her cancer and, and the treatments. I think about Leanne and I think about the heart of a, a faithful teacher. I mean, she loved teaching, and she loved her students, so she carried on right next to them. When I think of the heart of a faithful teacher, I think of the ultimate. I think of our Savior, Jesus Christ, the heart of a faithful teacher. I think of what he said in Matthew eleven twenty nine: Take my yoke upon you and learn from me. For I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. We yoke up with him, and, and he walks with us as we learn the lessons that he wants us to learn. He lives in us. What a faithful teacher. And I ask you the question, what's God been teaching you lately? What's he been teaching you lately? If you're like me, sometimes he does it by repeatedly, lovingly, repeating a theme in my life, because I'm, sl I'm slow to learn. Any, anybody else there? takes a while sometimes to get something through this thick skull. Right now, it has to do with our oldest son, Jaden. He's going to be a senior this year. And as we, as we think about this next chapter in his life, we got some things to learn. So God has the story of Abraham and Isaac and the sacrifice he called them to on repeat in our lives. It keeps popping up in 
random places. I put that in quotes because I know it's not random at all. On our recent trip to Ohio, our in-laws had a movie about Abraham and his son playing that we watched. Then we went to church with them on a Sunday and the preacher referenced Abraham and his son. I get back and in the Table Talk devotional put out by Ligonier Ministries, there's an article about Abraham and his son. And then Thursday, I go to a meeting with a friend here and he brings up Abraham and his son. And what jumps out over and over in that story in Genesis 22, if you read it, is the faith of Abraham in that dire moment. Uh, Hebrews eleven nineteen summarizes it like this. Abraham considered that God was able even to raise Isaac from the dead. Wow, the faith of that father. And I've been talking with Jaden. You know, what I'm saying to him is I'm, I'm really excited for what God has for you. I know he's got a good plan for you, but I got to be honest. I still remember when you were born. I remember you carrying you down the hallway and tears just flowing down my eyes. There's a part of me that doesn't, doesn't want you to grow up, a part that wants to hold on. And I told him, I know God's not asking Mom and I to, to plunge a knife in you, but, but it feels like we're, we're laying you on an altar. And by bringing Abraham's story in front of us over and over and over, I believe part of what God is trying to teach us is this. You can fully trust me with your son. And in the process, I believe he's asking us, do you? Do you trust me with your son? Do you really trust me with your son? I'm, I'm slow to learn, so he, keep, he keeps driving that in. I want you to ask that question as we go through this message today. What's God trying to teach you today? And Are you listening? Are, are you listening? Because today in Matthew, we're going to see Jesus continue to minister and show and teach things about himself. And we're going to see two different responses. One, we're going to see the, the stubbornness of the religious leaders who continue to refuse to believe in what he is showing and teaching. We're going to see their stubbornness and we're also going to see the slowness of his own disciples to learn what he's teaching them. And I want you to ask the question, which, which camp am I in? We're going to start with some, some signs. We're going to look back to Matthew 15, verse 29. As Jesus went on from there and walked beside the Sea of Galilee, and he went up on the mountain and sat down there. Great crowds came to him, bringing with them the lame, the blind, the crippled, the mute, and many others, and they put them at his feet, and he healed them. So that the crowd wondered when they saw the mute speaking, the crippled healthy, the, the lame walking, and, and the blind seeing. And I always like to imagine the contrast between the journey there and the journey home. Wow. Wow, what a change. And it says they glorified the God of Israel. You may say, why say that? Why not just say they glorified God? Well, because when you look at Mark, you realize something. This healing happened on the other side of the Sea of Galilee in territory that was primarily Gentile. 
A lot of these people healed were Gentile. That's why it says they glorified the God of Israel. It hints at the fact that even though Jesus' ministry for three years was centered in Israel, hope was coming, even for us Gentiles. Verse 32 says, Jesus called his disciples to him and said, I have compassion on the crowd because they have been with me now three days and I have nothing to eat. And I am unwilling to send them away hungry lest they faint on the way. Now, anybody feeling a little deja vu if you've been with us like the past month? Like <laughs> ringing a bell from something? Like you're not alone. We, we're about to see a miracle very similar to the one we looked at in Matthew chapter 14. What do you think the disciples will say this time when Jesus says, I'm unwilling to send them away? Verse 33, it says, the disciples said to him, where are we to get enough bread in such a desolate place to feed so great a crowd? Now, let's be honest. How many of us in here want to be like, hey, uh, Peter, <laughs> Andrew, James, you remember that miracle just a couple pages ago? That's easy when we're reading the story from the outside in, right? They were living it moment by moment, just like we live our lives. And in a little while, we're going to talk about how many times you and I are just like them. We're slow to learn and we're quick to forget. Verse 34 Jesus said to them, how many loaves do you have? Maybe now they're, they're getting it. Okay, this, this is all familiar. They, they said seven and a few small fish. And directing the crowd to sit down on the ground, he took the seven loaves and the fish. And having given thanks, he broke them and gave them to the disciples. And the disciples gave them to the crowds. And they all ate and were satisfied. And they took up seven baskets full of the broken pieces left over. I was looking at the Greek here. The word for basket there is more like a hamper. It, it's the same word used for when Paul was lower, lowered over the wall in Acts 9. Talking about a, a basket big enough to hold an apostle. Like this is bigger than the, the Costco bread pack. Seven of those they had left over. Verse 38 says those who ate were 4,000 men besides women and children. And we see something here, that the same Savior who is more than enough for Jews in Matthew 14 is also more than enough for Gentiles right here in Matthew chapter 15. Well, verse 39 says, After sending away the crowds, he got into the boat and went to the region of Magadan. That's also Magdala. That's where Mary Magdalene was from, from whom he had cast out demons. You wonder, how would the people respond to all of this? And I want to look at the first response, the, the stubbornness of the religious leaders. When he came back to Magadan, he was back in Jewish territory now. And, it, and one would wonder if they were waiting for him. Did they hear he's coming and did, did they wait for him? There says, the Pharisees and Sadducees came and to test him. They asked him to show them a sign from heaven. He answered them, When it is evening, 
you say it will be fair weather for the sky is red. And in the morning, it will be stormy today for the sky is red and threatening. You, you might have heard it in modern terms if you've done any sailing. Red at night, sailors delight. Red in the morning, sailors take warning. He's saying you get the signs of the weather. You know how to interpret the appearance of the sky. But you cannot interpret the signs of the times, which was somewhat startling because these are the, the leaders. And what I hear him saying to them is, you guys are masters of the trivial, but totally missing it on what really matters. And I think it's really worth asking, are we like them in any way? You look around our world and there's a lot of knowledge about a lot of things, but how much wisdom is there? How much discernment is there about what really matters? They could predict the weather, but they are missing the fact that the promised king is speaking with them face to face. Wow. They're asking for more signs after all we've seen. Verse 4 says, his response goes on, an evil and adulterous generation seeks for a sign, but no sign will be given to it. Why does he say that? He'd done miracle after miracle, fulfilling prophecy after prophecy from their own scriptures. The problem was not the evidence. The problem was their hard hearts. He goes on, he says, no sign will be given to it except the sign of Jonah. You remember that historical account from the Old Testament. You say, what's the sign of Jonah? Well, he explained this in a similar conversation in Matthew 12, 40. Here's the sign. Just as Jonah was three days and three nights in the belly of the great fish, so will the Son of Man be three days and three nights in the heart of the earth. What's he saying? He's saying, the only sign you got left is my death my burial, and my resurrection. That's it, guys. One man put it this way. There is truth and warning here. Jesus Christ is God's last word. Beyond him, the revelation of God cannot go. If Jesus cannot appeal to men, nothing can. What can be left for the man who throws away that last chance? So he left them and departed. There was nothing more to say. And I think about these Pharisees and Sadducees together, maybe even waiting for Jesus. The fact that it would be hard to find two groups more, more different doctrinally. I won't go into it, but, but how they believed was, was very different. But here they come together in opposition to Jesus. And I believe because they were both willfully blinded by the same problem. Each group was content with the wrong things. Think about the Pharisees. Jesus told them over and over, you're all about the outward show. It has nothing to do with what's going on in your heart. 
And if I could paraphrase the mindset of many a, a Pharisee, I would say it like this. I am content with my own self-righteousness. So I don't need Jesus. Is that anyone in this room this morning? You think you bring enough righteousness to the table to gain eternal life? I need to take you to scripture in love. Isaiah 64, 6 says, all of our righteous acts are like filthy rags before a holy God. If that's you this morning, you, like all of us, need the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world, Jesus Christ. That is why he came. What about the Sadducees? Well, history tells us they compromised with the Romans for, for power and position. They compromised a lot of things to keep their status. And if I could paraphrase many of Sadducee in that day, I would say it like this. I'm content with power and wealth in this world, so I don't need the kingdom Jesus came to offer. Is that anyone in this room today? If so, I want to lovingly take you to Jesus' later words in Matthew 16, 26. He said, what will it profit a man if he gains the whole world and forfeits his soul? If you find yourself this morning in willing unbelief, stubborn unbelief in Jesus because of those or any other reason, what's the only answer? To humbly turn in faith to Jesus Christ this morning. That's the stubbornness of the religious leaders. I want to talk about the slowness of the disciples. This is the category I put myself in. Yes, I'm confessing to you that I'm often slow to learn. I'm a disciple, but it takes the repeat to get it through often, okay? Watch this. Verse 5. As when the disciples reached the other side, they had forgotten to bring any bread. Jesus said to them, watch and beware of the leaven of the Pharisees and Sadducees. And they began discussing it among themselves, saying, we brought no bread. You can almost hear them like, all right, guys, who forgot to check the grocery app? <laughs> but Jesus aware of this, said, oh, you of little faith. Why are you discussing among yourselves the fact that you have no bread? Do you not yet perceive? Do you not remember the five loaves for the 5,000? And how many baskets you gathered? Or the seven loaves for the 4,000? And how many baskets you gathered? How is it? that you fail to understand that I did not speak about bread. They're so slow to learn sometimes. But I love his patience with them. He lovingly asks question after question after question. Because I need the same provision and patience in my own life. How many of us, if, if we were the teachers of that group, or honestly the teachers of our own lives, would have bailed by now? 
Not Jesus. Not Jesus. He says, how is it that you fail to understand I did not speak about bread? Beware of the leaven of the Pharisees and Sadducees. Then they understood that he did not tell them to beware of the leaven of bread, but of the teaching of the Pharisees and Sadducees. Why does he use the metaphor of leaven? Because leaven spreads. False teaching spreads. What was he warning them against? The very things we talked about earlier from the Pharisees and Sadducees. William Hendrickson put it this way about the disciples. When you think of their question, when that crowd needed fed and their, their slowness to learn here, he said, they were men who were not sufficiently taking to heart the comfort which they should have derived from the presence, promises, power, and love of their master and were not applying to the present situation the lessons received in the past. How many of us read that and say, I've been there. I have been there. You know, in a lot of ways, Jesus' disciples were probably just like you and just like me. Now, I want to talk about four things that sometimes make us slow to learn and likely played into them being slow to learn here. First, we are creatures of consistency. You've heard this as creatures of habit, right? We read these miracles almost back to back in the scriptures, but they, they didn't always happen one after the other as the disciples walk with Jesus. Sometimes there were stretches in between days or, or weeks or, or months. And chances are there were a lot of normal meals since the feeding of the 5,000. A lot of normal meals. So that's probably how it'll happen this time, right? Creatures of habit. Now think about that. It's kind of like the flip side of Esther. Remember when we went through Esther last year and we talked about how sometimes we look so much for God's dramatic intervention that we forget the reality that he works in the day-to-day, everyday events? This, this is the flip side of that. Sometimes we get so used to the day-to-day that we forget that God still can and does intervene dramatically on occasion when he chooses. And I want to ask you, if, if we believe that, if we believed in that God, will we not live with more anticipation and hope? Right? They're, they're creatures of consistency. Closely related, they're creatures of, of common sense. Right? Maybe they're thinking, hey, what do we usually do when we're hungry? We go and buy food and prepare it. So that's what needs to happen here. Common sense, right? Nothing wrong with common sense unless our thinking as believers is limited to that. Sometimes God goes beyond common sense. Sometimes we need uncommon sense in a walk of of faith. Listen, I've been in conflict situations where common sense says some, some counsel and listening and sharing will solve it. So I listen, counsel, and share, then, then leave for a bit. After being gone for a bit, came back in to hear one of the parties in the conflict say, while you were gone, we began to draw together and heal. It's like God goes out of his way to say, 
I work when you're not even there. Sure, he often uses the common, but don't you forget, he brings so much more to the table than us humans ever could. If we really believe that, wouldn't we pray more? Wouldn't we seek his wisdom more because his ways are higher than our own ways? His thoughts are not our own. I think the third of the four things going on with them and sometimes goes on with us is we are creatures of the current moment. I think about this during monsoon season. Some of these afternoons around 12 or 1, when, it, when it's like 101 degrees and that sun is beating down and all you feel is the heat, it, it's really hard in that moment to remember the last monsoon rain that came through and the relief you felt, right? All you feel is that moment. Right? We're creatures of the moment. How quickly we forget the last relief, the last answer to prayer. We talk, talk a lot about Israel in the desert, right? They saw God part the Red Sea. So how could they complain when they come to a need for water and for food later on? But how many times do you and I do the same thing? We only see the challenge or trial that we're living in right in the moment. And forget the many times God has intervened in the past. Listen, if we realize that, shouldn't we be people who purposely recount the moments where he's intervened in our lives, maybe even write them down, share them with others for encouragement? Shouldn't we be those who cling to the promises in his word when all we can see is the challenge which we face? You've probably heard it said, and I think we all need to hear this sometimes, don't forget in the dark what he has taught you in the light. Somebody needs that this morning, right? Last one here, we are creatures of the carnal. And I don't necessarily mean that in the most evil sense of the word. It's just often we're focused only on what we see, right? That you put yourself in the disciples' shoes. I see seven loaves, a few fish, and thousands of people, right? we got to do something. Sometimes you and I focus only on the scene as well and forget there are invisible spiritual realities at work. What's 2 Corinthians 5, 7 say that the trajectory of the believer should be? Paul says we walk by faith, not by sight. I was recently called a very very derogatory name by someone because I took a stand on God's word. And I think about a situation like that. Maybe you've been there, you know, we're tempted to look in human eyes. There's a fleshly battle here and I'm going to respond by name calling back and throwing some barbs. We, that's one path we sometimes wrongly choose. Or, or we can remember... There's more than meets the eye here. There's a spiritual battle going on, right? Ephesians 6.10, Finally be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. 
For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. There's a spiritual battle going on that eyes cannot see. Realizing that, I remember Jesus was just paraphrasing from earlier in Matthew. They called me names. They're going to call you names too. Realizing it's spiritual, not fleshly, brought me to a point where I said, I'd rather be called names with Jesus than have it any other way without him. There's a spiritual battle going on here. And when we find ourselves in those moments, we cry out to someone who is far above all rule and authority and power and dominion, Jesus Christ. And we carry on with the work that he's called us to do. We realize there's more than meets the eye. Will we not be people who armor up intentionally day by day for the battle that is to come and look to the Lord for his strength rather than confide in our own? As we wrap up, I want to share that I saw Leanne in hospice recently before she passed. She told me that even in that late stage of the battle, she finished the report cards from her 24th year of teaching. You talk about faithful. I think about faithful teacher back to Jesus. I think about the fact that someday Jesus is going to finish your report card and mine and A question I want to ponder now rather than then is what kind of student am I? The one who stubbornly refused to turn to him in faith and so missed out on eternal life? Is that anyone in this room right now? Today's the day for that to change. There's hope in Jesus. Or am I one who turned and learned? Will we be those of whom he says, well done, good and faithful servant? I'll close with a word of encouragement to those who do trust him and sometimes wonder because you're slow to learn like me. He really is the ultimate of faithful teachers. There's a promise we can cling to in Philippians 1.6. Paul says, I am sure of this. He who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. Lord, I thank you for recording these very human reactions. The Son of God, our Savior and Lord. Sitting here as humans this morning, we, we fall in one of those two camps. And you know where each one in this room does. For any in that stubborn unbelief camp, draw them to the cross. For those of us who love you, but find ourselves slow to learn at times, we want to say thank you for your patience and your perseverance and your love. May you give us eyes to see and ears to hear what you're aiming to teach us today in our walk with you. In Jesus' name, amen.